What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly. And as promised, a draft analyst every single week leading up to the 2021 NFL Draft. Very pleased to be joined by Brandon Thorne. He's the author of Trench Warfare Newsletter. Uh, he does some scouting for Bleacher Report, Scouting Academy, Established a Run. Brandon, you're everywhere, man. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, hey, you know, I want to go in a couple of different directions here. The Chargers have the, the 13th overall pick, but the, your forte is the offensive line. And you actually have uh, a couple of articles, I think, available right now uh, in your notebook, breaking down Christian Darasol and Elijah Vera Tucker. First, where can fans get that information? Um, I know we're going to talk about it here, but for, for a little bit later after this podcast. Sure. Yeah. People can go to trenchwarfare.substack.com. And that's a newsletter that I run. I started it probably about six months or so ago now. And um, yeah, it's it's just exclusively focused on offensive and defensive line, primarily the NFL. But, you know, this year I'm doing a lot of draft work as well. So it's cool to be able to offer that as well. But that's the main spot to to find all my my personal work out right now. And then Bleacher Report, I'm doing like exclusively draft stuff this year as well. So offensive line, how would you assess this class in terms of uh, the, the depth? And, you know, is it top heavy in the first round? I, I feel like we're going to see quite a few offensive linemen come off the board in those first 15 picks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, so far from the guys I've watched, I've watched uh, and written up about 30 guys so far. I, I think it's a, a really good class. Um, you know, I think it's deep, uh, not too top heavy at really any spot, uh, a little bit deeper at tackle than interior. Um, but there's a bunch of these tackles that could play inside. So depending on how you view them, the interior might be a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I, I have some of those guys, you know, sticking at tackle, some of those guys at guard. So you could kind of go either way on some of them. But yeah, overall, I think it's a really good class. And I you know, for the last few years, I've, I've thought that uh, interior defensive line, especially, and then just defensive line overall has been the most talented position in football. Um, and this year, it seems like that side of the ball, the class isn't as deep or as good as the offensive line, which I think is much needed for the NFL to kind of, you know, even the even the balance there a little bit. So I think that's really interesting as well. So um, good news for offensive line enthusiasts for sure. No question. We just saw uh, uh, Rashawn Slater have his pro day, and yep. he has 37 starts under his belt. Obviously, he didn't play last year, but he's the type of guy, too, that, that has that position versatility. He said he considers himself the best tackle in the draft, but you could kick him into guard, I think, his rookie year and feel pretty comfortable about it, no? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, I have him at tackle, but I definitely think his skill set will fit inside for sure. Um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like an Isaiah Wynn, you know, coming out of Georgia, um, you know, maybe a little bit more athletic than he was. But, you know, I yeah, I mean, I, I really liked him on tape. The things that stood out most to me about him were contact balance, uh, foot quickness, his ability to recover from compromising positions is uh, really good. And I think that's important for offensive linemen in the NFL, because you're going to be put in those positions against the level of competition you're going to be seeing. So to see him be able to recover from those situations was very encouraging. And he did it quite a bit, um, you know, very athletic. I think his hands are really good. 
Um, and I mean, there's a lot of nuance to his game. That's impressive as well at tackle his ability to switch up his pass sets and kind of keep rushers guessing that's an NFL type of trait as well. Um, he's really good at the second level. He processes things quickly. Um, you know, my only kind of concerns with him were, you know, he, I think he dealt with, um, you know, power and guys with a lot of length, um, not as well as you would want to see like a really high level tackle you know, operate at the high, at the next level. And I think you saw that against uh, Iowa in 2019 against AJ Epinesa. He's playing for the bills now. Um, he struggled a little bit in that game. Um, you know, and this, this is stuff, you know, he's a very good player. I have a first round grade on him, but you know, when you're watching a guy enough, you notice little things. That's something that I would point out that he could struggle with at tackle. Um, and I think that he has kind of a heavy reliance on using his outside hand and pass protection as well. That that uh, I think against Wisconsin, Zach Bond was able to give him a little trouble with that. And it's funny, he had trouble with these two guys who are NFL players, but then Chase Young, he performed really well against. Um, so, you know, all in all, a really good prospect. Those are some of the kind of the smaller things that I took issue with. But, you know, I mean, he he's, a I think, a lock first round guy and positional versatility as well, like you said. So really good prospect. Brandon, can you give us like a tier? Uh, the Chargers select 13 overall. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be an offensive lineman, a wide receiver, a tight end, a corner. Um, there's so much that, that's going to happen over these next couple of months. But uh, what tier would you be comfortable? You know, so the Chargers select 13, let's say. We got Sewell, we got Slater, we got Darisol, we got Vera Tucker. Uh, are those guys in kind of your first tier? Would you be comfortable selecting one of those guys if they were available at 13 overall? And is there somebody else that should also kind of be in that conversation? So, yes, I think those guys are the players that would come to mind first. Another guy I would throw in there that I'm a big fan of is Tim Jenkins of mm. Oklahoma State. Now, that would probably be you know higher than most people would have him, but I have him as my second highest graded tackle, uh, just him Slater and Darisaw are all kind of right in that same mold. I have Sewell, you know, kind of in his own tier. I just think the upside there and the stuff that he can do is like really, really special. Um, but Slater, Darisaw and Jenkins, I kind of have bunched, but I have it Jenkins, Slater, Darisaw in that order. Um, but Jenkins to me, Man, I mean, 6'7", 320, and he has really good feet, I think, for his size, and he just has rare power um, and really good competitive toughness as well, uh, just consistent uh, in that regard. Um, and I saw a lot of improvement from 2019 to 2020 as well, which is good to see. He's played left and right tackle, a little guard. Um, so he, he's a guy that I was, I was very high on. I, I really like his game. So that, that would be another guy. And I think that's probably the, is that like five guys? I think that's yeah. probably the five right there. So Jenkins, you, you, you don't see a much of a drop off or a, a difference when you evaluate guys like Slater and Darisol and, and Vera Tucker, he's in that conversation. Yeah. What, what Jenkins is, is that what you're asking? Yeah. It's Evan Jenkins for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, so Sewell I have as my best offensive line in the class, best offensive lineman. I, I love Landon Dickerson. Um, he's probably my second, uh, and I'm very high on him, you know, and that's obviously not factoring in his medical issues, which, you know, he's had, I was going to say if, if, if his medical yeah. was clean, would yeah. we be having him in this conversation as well in terms of just overall <laughs> offensive lineman? I don't know how the NFL would see. I think that he would certainly be a first round pick and he still might be even with the medical stuff, but you know, anytime you have an interior guy, 
you know, talked about in the top 15. I think he has to be really, really special and he might be there, you know, if the medical stuff wasn't there for me, I think he's worth it. Um, just strictly based on tape. Uh, and you know, some of the things that I've been able to learn talking to him personally, and then also guys that have been around him, just like, you know, character leadership, all that stuff's like a plus. Uh, so that, you know, is nice as well. Um, but yeah, so Dickerson after Sewell and then Vera Tucker third and then Jenkins and then Slater. And those are my five guys that I think are that I'm going to be highest on in the draft. Are there some prospects and maybe that second, third round that could be quality starters, maybe in year one, but for sure in year two? There's a couple guys that I'll throw out here. Um, one of them is Liam Eckenberg from Notre Dame. So I think that he does everything pretty well, nothing great necessarily, but I think he's fundamentally and technically sound. He reminds me a lot of Riley Reef. Um, he doesn't have, you know, the best athletic and physical traits. They're good enough, but I think he's just very efficient and I think he's well-rounded. I mean, I think he's one of those guys that could step in at left or right and, you know, probably play for a while and just be solid, you know, not, maybe not a pro bowl type of guy, but just somebody you can count on and win with. Sure. Um, so he, he's, he's one of my more favorite guys in like that second round range. Um, I, I really like Brady Christensen. He may get into the second round. I don't know. Uh, I have him, you know, right, right there with, uh, with Eckenberg, maybe a little lower, but he's another guy more so of a zone fit. Um, in terms of offensive scheme, because um, he executed that at BYU at a very high level. And I think with his size and his maybe average play strength, that's probably, you know, he's a little bit more scheme uh, specific. But I think if he gets in the right situation, he could be very good um, as a run blocker. And then pass blocking, I thought he was really efficient and good with his hands as well. He, uh, he didn't see very good competition at all. He probably the best guy he saw last year was Peyton Turner from Houston. And uh, he had one like glaring loss against him, but otherwise I thought he played well. So it's kind of hard to always, you know, get a gauge on guys who don't play the best competition. And, you know, it's not like he's a physical, physically dominant guy either. He's just more of one of those guys who's athletic and efficient. Um, so I, I like him as well, as far as tackles go. Um, and there, there's a few others in that second and third round range that I kind of like. I mean, Sam Cosme is another one who's probably a little bit below those guys from Texas. Um, that, you know, I like Alex Leatherwood as well. He's more of a gap type concept guy, mauler type guy. I think he's very good in the run game. He has some technical stuff to clean up and pass protection though. So another guard tackle potential guy there. Um, so yeah, those are some guys on the outside. And I, I mean, I really like a couple inside guards, like in the second and third round, uh, Creed Humphrey. I love at center. Yeah. Oklahoma, um, right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him, like early second round kind of value for me. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Max Unger, uh, taller center. I think he could probably play guard. Um, hasn't played it, though. He's been a center since his redshirt freshman year. But the thing about him, he's a former high-level wrestler. You can really see that on tape, and he's very good with his processing. He's so smart the way he's able to uh, diagnose blitzes, stunts, and games and things like that. And He's been making every single line call since his redshirt freshman year as well. So, wow. yeah, he's impressive. I just think he's very clean as a prospect. So those are some guys that stand out to me. It's fantastic. You got a guy like Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on Wyatt? 
I like Wyatt Davis. So it's interesting about him. I have him with a similar type of grade of uh, as Humphrey, a little bit below him, more like mid second round on the Bleacher Report grading scale, at least. Um, you know, he reminds me a lot of a guy named Jeff da- Jeff Allen, uh, who played guard for the Chiefs and maybe I think one other team. Um, but I think the interesting thing about him is 2019 was better than 2020 for him. I think he was dealing with a knee injury in 2020 and you could kind of see he was limited a little bit uh, in his just ability to generate power and anchor and stuff like that. I still think his anchor is one of his strengths, but 2019, he was a better player. So I think when people evaluate him, they got to watch 2019 because he looked like a different guy. Um, So it's kind of a tricky evaluation there in, in some some sense, but you know I, I kind of think that he'll be able to regain that 2019 form, and you know I, I was high on him that year, so I, I like him quite a bit. Um, you know, again, like maybe mid late second kind of round range for him. And Brandon, I'll get you out of here on this man. Just overall, this class as a whole, outside of just offensive line. Do you have some some players that uh, you're pretty high on just in, in general, uh, whether it be first round guys or, or maybe some second or third round guys who maybe in any other year would be potential first rounders, but we're just in this kind of unconventional uh, unconventional uh, draft evaluation process, but no combine and pro days late and some guys opting out. It's just kind of a, a little bit all over the place this offseason. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, pretty much am focusing exclusively on offensive and defensive lines. So I'll stick with maybe an edge rusher. You know, I don't think this is the strongest edge rusher class, but I really like Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. Mm. He's probably some guy's number one edge rusher, you know, so he's not like necessarily a sleeper, but somebody who on tape who consistently stood out to me, I think that uh, the Alabama tape st- stood out to me in a lot of ways. He's, he's good off the edge as a rusher, but what impressed me most about him was his play strength for being a guy who's not the biggest. He's very stout, I think at the point of attack. And although, you know, pass rush is the name of the game for edge rushers. I think his ability in the run game, some of the stuff that he was able to do, there was a pull where Deontay Brown was coming around and he just stoned Deontay Brown, a left guard from Alabama who's six, three, three fifty. Um, and he's a big dude. I mean, he he's powerful. And Aziz was able to stand him up. That play just like really stands out to me. And he was just able to do some impressive stuff in in watching other guys. So that's one guy that I feel pretty good about. Joey Bosa uh, may need a a partner on the other side. We'll, we'll see what happens at free agency. And obviously, Uchenna Nuosu is is in L.A. But when you see what Brandon Staley was able to do with Aaron Donald, and he's going to have that uh, foundational piece on the line in Joey Bosa. Just how disruptive is Joey? Not only is getting to the quarterback, but also just just stopping the run and just being a complete end. Oh man, Joey Bosa to me has a very strong case for being the best edge rusher, edge player in the NFL. I, I mean, I think he's the most technically sound guy that we have in the league right now um, in terms of using his hands. He's just so refined at that. He's able to string stuff together so well. Um, and he had just has a variety of counters and, and ways to, to win. So, you know, in terms of like pass rush arsenal, I think his is the deepest in the league. Um, so he's just, he, he's incredible, man. I mean, he, he's one of my favorite guys to watch for that reason. Um, and he has some, he has power as well. He, you know, he can win going outside down the middle or inside on a guy. So 
anytime you can win three ways, you know, you're going to be a dominant rusher. And plus he's good against the run, like you said. Absolutely. Brandon Thorne, uh, let people know where they can find you over the next several weeks, especially as we go into the the offensive line and defensive line class, man. Uh, You're one of the top follows. Thank you. Yeah. So again, trenchwarfare.substack.com is my newsletter. People can sign up for free there or they can subscribe and get some additional work. Um, And then Bleacher Report is where I'm going to be providing actual scouting reports this year, which those haven't come out yet, but I'm very excited about. Awesome, man. We'll be looking for it and hope to have you on again soon. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, guys, as we roll on here on Chargers Weekly, here with a pair of new podcast stars, Gil Manzano, Fernando Ramirez, Compass on the Beat, first episode out. Gentlemen, congratulations. How are we doing? Doing well. I appreciate the shout out on Compass on the Beat, Chris. I feel like I, like a podcaster now because I have the big headphones and the mic in front of me. I was hoping Fernando would do the same thing, but I feel a little left out, but it's okay. Fernando's keeping it too casual, if you ask me. Bro, I got to. Like, I can't – like, somebody was like, oh, your hair was all messed up. I'm like, all right, to be with here with Chris, I can't mess up the hair. So people <laughs> were expecting it to be uh, on point, so I couldn't, I couldn't put headphones on. But, Chris, appreciate it. Appreciate being here. I mean, this is fun. I mean, we're starting – we're about to get to the fun point of the NFL offseason. So my first question is, you guys aren't going to big league me on – B writers roundtables now, are you? Just because you have too Never. much going on, right? Dude, you're you're Never. the original. Uh, you're the original one that gets us together. So we'd never do that to you. Hey, you kind of gave us idea, Chris. A roundtable, like we go for like almost twenty minutes. I'm like, I want to keep talking. Where else can I talk? A podcast. You know, it's fun, and you know, for Chargers Weekly, fans love it because you get to hear from you know four different personalities with different opinions and. Uh, the banter that we'll get from you guys, for instance, Popper and Jeff, Uncle Joe. I mean, there's there's no shortage of of fun things to talk about. And I was listening to your first episode. And it really is true. Some of the things you do before practice in Costa Mesa, waiting for pressers to go on. Those are the conversations that that we have on the air. And, and that's what you guys are going to bring to Chargers fans through Compass on the Beat. So just explain a little bit more about this podcast, because if you're a Chargers fan and you listen to Chargers Weekly, this is something you have to put in your rotation now. Um, I mean, I guess I'll start it. Uh, Basically, I mean, Gilbert and I have been sitting next to each other for like, I think over two years, two seasons now. And like, we're always chatting and stuff. And we just kind of thought like, and this was a thought of mine in November or no, when, uh, when it was, uh, the halfway mark of the season, I was like, Hey Gil, do you want to just answer, do a YouTube video and just answer fans questions? And he's like, yeah, why not? So we did it. I got a little bit of, of, uh, some juice. We did it again for the off season. I think right when they hired Brandon Staley, it got some more juice. And then obviously when, uh, when we had Popper on, everybody was like, okay, you guys need to make this into a podcast. So that's when Gil and I got together and we're like, all right, let's do make this into a podcast. And that's kind of how it got, uh, that's kind of how Compass on the Beat got, uh, was born. Yeah. And, and going back to the, the, the pre-interview conversations, Chris, you know, it's funny. Every time I walk into Costa Mesa, the, the Chargers uh, Media Center, you know, I'm, I'm a little out of it. I'm a little sluggish. I'm tired. And then I walk in, I get a big hello from Fernando Hey, bro. What's I, up, bro? And, yeah, I messed it up as what's up, bro. And and I'm a, like, a, I'm a little tired, but it kind of wakes me up. I'm like, okay, I'm here for work. 
let's talk some questions, you know, let's, let's figure it out. Let's set the game plan. And then sometimes we're like, hey, these are, these are some very good points. We got to talk about it. We, we, we got to get more. And, and, and it kind of just, you know, kept going from there. But, you know, occasionally we'll get a little random. We get sidetracked. But that's what we do the podcast. We want people to get to know us and how, how we kind of got to, you know, this point in our career. So I feel like it'd be kind of nice for the, for the audience and kind of get to know us a little better. A podcast is all about getting sidetracked because you can go as long as you want, right? I mean, you can you can get back on track when you need to. Have you guys noticed over the last couple of months uh, the the appetite for more Chargers news when you talk about Justin Herbert and the season he had, Offensive Rookie of the Year? And, Gil, you mentioned Brandon Staley kind of bringing in this new regime and uh, really a, a lot of unknown in an exciting way here over these next couple of months um, you, you talked about having Popper on and, and, and people really excited about it. I feel like the appetite for Chargers news here in L.A. is starting to increase by the month. Yeah, you know, Chris, I'll start with this one because, you know, I feel like we kind of left out Justin Herbert in the debut podcast because it, it's a free agency week. Everybody wants to talk about the offensive line, you know, getting a new cornerback, stuff like that. But we have to talk Justin Herbert. You know, the fans love Justin Herbert. You saw, Chris, the, the voting polls, and then they, they pretty much, you know, dominated every type of voting thing, award for Justin Herbert, Offensive Rookie of the Year, broke every record. Uh, we should dedicate one one show. Maybe yesterday for his birthday, he turned 23 years old. Crazy to yeah. think at 23, set out that all those records. But you're right. we got to give the people what they want, and it's definitely number 10, Justin Herbert. What, what was interesting, though, is that, Justin Herbert was able to do something unique. He connected with the fans in a different way with COVID and everything going on. A lot of, there was a lot of mystery around Herbert. And I mean, fans were excited a little bit during training camp, but then he really comes in and fans are gravitated to him. And they're like, wow, did we really just go from Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert? Like this would be incredible. And then he starts the whole victory brisket thing that, that had a life of its own and fans really connected to Justin. And I feel like, I, I, and I don't think he did it on purpose. I feel like accidentally, in a sense, Justin really connected with the fans and the fans are behind him. Uh, I'm sure this season, number 10 jerseys are going to fly off the, the handles. And when you go to when if fans are hopefully allowed back at SoFi, you're going to see a lot of number 10 jerseys. But yeah, no, Gilbert and I, after yesterday, we FaceTime for a little bit and I'm like, dang, we forgot to shout out Justin for his 23rd birthday. And it was funny because on social media that night, I saw, I saw he went to K1, the racing thing for his birthday. I thought that was, uh, that's, hey, that's a great way to spend your 23rd birthday, uh, racing and, and doing all that. I, I think Murray. his kid got, got first place on that Kenneth one. Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I think just the, the way he carries himself is so genuine. He's not seeking the spotlight, which is why I think the spotlight is coming to him. Uh, and I think it starts with his teammates. Just what he did in week two, it was like, wow, that was impressive. And then he just keeps stacking bricks, stacking bricks. And his play does the talking. Uh, he's not going to give you some wild quote at a press conference. He, he's not making it about himself. But I think that is the, the uniqueness of him and his personality is it makes him that much more popular because he's all about the team. He's all about just performing on the field. And fans have just it's really unbelievable how they've kind of gravitated towards the guy. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, coming out of Oregon, you had you had some stuff that people were saying about him. And and I feel like really that is completely different of what we've I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Obviously, I think Gilbert might agree, but he's completely different. Um, he's he's unique in a sense. 
He kind of he's a he walks to the beat of his own drum. He's he's a different guy. So he like you said, like we would we would ask him, hey Justin, like do you want to win Rookie of the Year? And he's like, Rookie of the Year to me is a is a team award. I couldn't have done it without these guys. And he, he's just so humble. You can tell that he comes from a great family, a family that really is is united, and he's just a great kid overall. So it really, I feel like that that's what really gravitated fans towards him. So it, it's not. It's not surprising to know that the Chargers fan, because Chargers fan bases were loyal to Philip Rivers, and now obviously they're still loyal to him, but they're loyal now to Justin Herbert, and and they're all sticking up for him, and they're all they're fighting Minnesota Vikings fans over Justin Jefferson and all this stuff, and uh, Cincinnati so Bengals fans. So it's it's a lot of fun to see, and it's kind of funny because there was a point where maybe we would not have seen this historic rookie season because it went into Tyra Taylor. Uh, and it was a, a weird, chaotic uh, offseason with the pandemic. And, 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 I, and I get what Anthony was trying to do because it was a very short and offseason. You don't want to rush the guy. And then, boom, he's the offensive rookie of the year. He has a mural, a painting in Inglewood uh, at some uh, liquor store. I, I want to go see it. Uh, but it's kind of funny that, you know, I think for Justin Herbert, the hardest part was finding his voice, uh, just being who he is and getting the respect of, of the, the, his teammates in the locker room. And maybe kind of sitting behind Tyrod Taylor and listening and watching paid off for that, you know, six weeks. And then once he kind of found his voice, he was comfortable. The skills were there. This guy has a, a rocket of an arm. He's mobile, you know, a very smart guy, 4.0. So I think, you know, once he kind of became a leader in his own way, got comfortable, the rest came easy. And, 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 and I'm really excited to see what he does for year two. You know, if, uh, real quick, Chris, that story what, that he said on the Pat McAfee show where he comes in in that Kansas City game and Hunter Henry's like, what are you doing here? Like yeah. that story to me, it, it cracked me up because that is typical. Like Justin's like, oh, wow, thanks, man. Like it's my first time starting and you're asking me, what are you doing in here? I think a lot of people are asking that, though. <laughs> Justin was probably asking that for, for a quick second. <laughs> well, I turned to Popper, and I'm like, is this a wildcat? Like, is is Anthony trying to throw Andy Reid off? Like, what is going on? So I completely agree. Like, I think a lot of us were completely thrown off. And just think, exactly a year ago, Justin had the luxury of really checking every box during the draft evaluation process, MVP at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he did his thing at his Pro Bowl, uh, at his Pro Day, rather. He got that in. Uh, he was excellent at the combine. A lot of these prospects are not going to have that opportunity at the combine. Actually, none of these prospects are going to have the, that opportunity at the combine. We're starting to see these pro days kick into gear, starting with Northwestern the other day. Sean Slater had a really good pro day. His his interview uh, afterwards in his press was very impressive. Uh, your thoughts on this whole draft evaluation process? It's almost like this this new frontier of we don't have the combine. We do have a little bit of senior bowl stuff. Uh, there are some guys who opted out these next five or six weeks. How much of an impact do you guys think it's really going to have on the draft? And then you look at free agency and everything that's going on. We can get into that a little bit more, but just starting with the, the draft, these next four or five weeks can be critical for a lot of these prospects. Yeah, I, I think it you know, with the whole opt-outs in college football, I think I thought that was going to hurt some prospects. But you mentioned Rashawn Slater from North, Northwestern, uh, Chris. Uh, he opted out in, in, for the 2020 season. And people are talking about his tape in 2019 when he dominated Chase Young against Ohio State. So I think because the tape is out there and they've seen what you've done before, I don't think it's going to hurt too many, especially the top prospects. Maybe yeah, the, yeah. The, Slater know, had 37 starts. So, I mean, there's a lot of tape. Yeah. 
So maybe the guys who were like, maybe had only one year of experience might hurt them. Uh, but, you know, luckily for them, there's pro days still that, you know, teams would go, you know, go around and, and watch them. And maybe some players take a little creative, like the high school days where you kind of do your own highlight tape and send it out to scout, scouts. But I think at the end of the day, if you you can play, I think they're going to find them. No, definitely. I mean, that's that's one of the things I've heard about Panay Sewell, that people are like, oh, well, there's film on him, but it's not as lengthy as it is for like Rashawn Slater. But I mean, it, it teams are going to, I feel like teams at one point, they kind of know what they're getting with some of these players. And I mean, you've heard Tom Telesco said it last week, like, we feel like we're right at where we need to be because of our college scouts. They've done a great job of scouting these guys. So definitely, I think teams have a handle of who they know is good, who's not. And I mean, the pro day, I mean, I, I guess it does matter. But to me, it's like a 40 time, I guess. like It's, it's really, it's Fernando, about, it's like, don't mess it up, right? It, yeah, it's like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's don't mess it up. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Don't mess it up. Just uh, make sure your 40 times good. You can bench press. Uh, Sean Slater 33 times yesterday uh, was able to do or two days ago was able to do that so so basically it's like a uh, like when you go out and practice in only helmets don't mess it up don't get hurt that's basically what a pro day is but I'm sure a lot of these guys already know a lot of the uh, pro teams know who they're zeroing in on and who are the prospects that they're really looking at uh, to potentially draft it's always hard during this time of year to do a podcast and make sure it's not dated because I could hang up with you guys and some, something can break. But I, I look at the Chargers situation and it's such an unknown with a new coaching staff with a decent amount of salary cap space compared to the rest of the league and nine picks. So if there is a myriad of ways to improve this football team. Uh, we're not really sure what this coaching staff and, and Tom Telesco collectively want to see out of the, the defense and offense. Obviously we've, we've talked about different position groups like offensive line and potentially cornerback. Uh, that could be something, you know, wide receiver. It, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but what do you think Brandon Staley and company uh, are going to want to address first when you look at the roster and you look at what Staley did with the Rams, uh, there's so many foundational pieces here, but they played a, a different brand of football maybe in LA than the Chargers did on defense last year. Well, um, and you know what, Chris, real quick, that's why we kind of started Compas on the beat also is because some fans, fans knew who Anthony Lynn was going into last season. Some people don't know about Brandon Staley. They don't know about the coaching staff. So we were like, you know what, let's give them an inside look of who who the head coach is, who some of these coordinators are. I mean, Darius Swinton is still the talk uh, after his incredible yeah. press conference. He is still the talk. And, I mean, for him to say, I watched all of the uh, special team snaps from last season, I'm like, wow. Going into my interview, I was like, wow, okay, that's really impressive. I hope he speaks um, more often than yeah. not to the press, man. He oh, was A+. 100%. But going into that, I'm going to go, and that's what I told Gilbert yesterday on episode one. Let's go off beat. Let's not talk about, because uh, everybody can say offensive line. So I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say the defensive line. You have Joey Bosa. But then there's a little bit of uh, some question marks along the rest of that defensive line. Now, when he was in with the Rams, that defensive line started and went with Aaron Donald. Yeah. That defensive line was incredible last year. They were getting constant pressure on anybody and everybody in the league. Man, they the way they what they did to Tom Brady in that Monday night game was incredible. 
then what they were doing to Russell Wilson in the playoff game, I mean, wow. So definitely I think it starts there. You have your cornerstone piece with Joey Bosa. Now you're going to have to build around him. Melvin Ingram, to me, I mean, I I, I think the guy's uh, an amazing human being. You can always chat with him, and, and he's really cool. But I just think that his price tag is going to be a little bit too much for the team, and I feel like the team's going to let him walk. I think some other team is going to pay him a hefty uh, amount to come and be a pass rusher. So I feel like the Chargers are going to look elsewhere for that opposite uh, outside linebacker defensive end. So I feel like the Chargers really need to do – I think Brandon Saley is going to do his homework on this defensive line, talk with Giff Smith, and say, hey, what do we have to do to get Joey that help? Because last year, without Melvin Ingram, Joey was getting triple teamed at time. I mean, that Buffalo game, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Joey Bosa literally took off, put on the cape, became Superman, and had three It's the best game I've ever seen him play. It's, it was incredible what he was – and he was getting double and triple teamed at times, and he was still getting through. So definitely, uh, I think the defensive line is going to be their biggest need when it comes to uh, when it comes to this offseason. Chris, this is why I like talking to Fernando. It gives you a different point of view, and sometimes it, it is kind of obvious. I'm going to go to the offensive line, but when Fernando talks, you know what? Joey Bosa getting help does sound very nice. He, he's your best player, you know, besides Justin Herbert. Uh, so you know, get another pass rusher or, or guys in the middle to help him out and free him up. And I'm very Gil, Gil before you before you go off as oh, line, I look at what the, what happened to the Chiefs today, losing both your tackles. If you can get after the quarterback in this division, specifically Patrick Mahomes, starting with him, I mean that that's where it starts. But uh, Gus and really this is around the league that rush and cover work together. Uh, if if you can get that in concert, Staley's been able to do that in, in really all of his stops in, in Chicago and the Rams. But just look at this division in the offensive firepower uh, in Denver, potentially. Well, it remains to be seen if Drew Locke's going to be the starter or not. Uh, Derek Carr, it looks like he'll be the starter. Uh, there's a lot of speed uh, on the outside in this division. So getting to the quarterback is, is paramount. And Staley has examples. Khalil Mack, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, now Joey Bosa, uh, of getting to the quarterback. Aaron Donald, you know, obviously. But, but having those cornerstone pieces, you mentioned Joey Bosa. A healthy Derwin James will go a long way. 16 games of Kenneth Murray last year. I think he can take another step. And then getting Drew Tranquil back at the linebacker position. So Staley's going to have a lot to work with. Uh, I'm sorry for interjecting, Gil, but you were going to talk offensive line. No, you got me thinking now because those are two key offensive tackles that the Chiefs have lost. So maybe getting after Patrick Mahomes is the right way because we saw it in the Super Bowl. Against that the was the formula, year. right? Yeah, and maybe you could follow that blueprint. But you you got to think the Chiefs are thinking another good plan to kind of build around the offensive line. I know they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're a little cap strap. Uh, or maybe they're settled to win one Super Bowl, and now here comes the fall of the dynasty. So who who knows? But you, I, I like the way you guys are thinking. Thinking. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they kind of go for need and for system fit, personnel fit with Brandon Staley. Because, yes, Brandon Staley is a great defensive play caller. We saw what he did with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and the Rams a year ago. But there's also this big need on the offensive line. So it's going to be kind of a thing, you know, Maybe they could build the defense, you know, through free agency and go offensive line draft heavy because, uh, to me, I think this draft class has some very good offensive tackles. Get that cornerstone piece, 
uh, on the blind side for Justin Herbert and, and kind of have them be together for the next 10 years. If you get that pick right at number 13, we've mentioned Rayshon Slater, uh, uh, May Penesul. It's going to be tough because those guys are very talented. They might be gone before 13. The more I think about it, Gil, I, I, I don't know. There could be multiple offensive linemen going in the top 10. When you yeah. look at the landscape of the league right now, and there, there's a lot of talented offensive linemen that have been released over the last several uh, several days. And you hear how deep this offensive line class is. I'm I'm just I'm fascinated by the, the Chargers are sitting pretty in that they're at 13. Let's say there's a run on quarterbacks. A lot of talent is going to get pushed you at 13. If there's a run on offensive lineman, perhaps there's a guy like Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan available, and the depth at offensive line is enough to get you to the second round. There's just uh, there's just so many different options that I think the Chargers have at 13. And, you know, Tom even mentioned it. Yeah, we want to get better at the offensive line, but we want to get better at a lot of different positions. And I think being at 13 allows you a little bit of flexibility, especially when you have nine picks and you have the cap space that a lot of NFL teams don't. That's the thing. Before I let Fernando go, I feel like I've been talking for a while. I think once free agency gets going and we see where they kind of take that money, then we start thinking, okay, this is where they're going to go in the draft. And you mentioned the free agents, especially in the interior of the offensive line. There's a lot of free agents that could play on the inside that could help out the Chargers. Not too many tackles, uh, but I'm very curious to see how Tom Telesco spends that money and that will give us a pretty good idea of what they're going to do at 13 because they also might have a need at cornerback. You mentioned those three guys. They're going to be at the top. Uh, and I know Fernando's going to say this. Like, There's also a very good wide receiver he wants to see potentially with Justin Herbert. I'll let him get to that <laughs> one. Uh, there's been yeah, a lot of Jalen Waddle talk the last couple of Yep, that's the one. And uh, I'll, let, I'll let Fernando go with that one. But there are many options to go. You heard what Chris said. He said Patrick Sertan. That's a position, another position that I've said this team needs to work on, and that's cornerback. Fernando, um, let me say this real quick on Sertan. I said this last week because, you know, you you follow the little breadcrumbs throughout the, the league. Sertan's, uh, I think the uh, the D coordinator in Alabama was at Florida State with Derwin and Jalen Ramsey. His comp to Sertan is Jalen Ramsey. Brandon Staley and Jalen Ramsey had some success last year. So I'm just I'm, – I'm trying to envision – okay, listen, there's like a million different scenarios. We don't know what's going to happen. But imagine a guy like Sertan and Derwin James in a secondary together, couple with Joey Bosa up front, Uchenna, maybe some additional pass rush help through free agency or the draft. Uh, I, I, can, I can talk myself into a lot of different positions. Let's just say that. <laughs> I watch this. I I can, I can talk Gilbert into it too. Gilbert, if that means he's like Jalen Ramsey, that means good quotes from Patrick Sertan. I love it. Bring him on. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) No. And, and, and definitely, um, I mean, he, he says waddle. I just envision, like I've said it and I've said it numerous times, the chargers, in my opinion, on offense are missing speed. I think that's the only little wrinkle that these guys need. I know Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson did a great job last year, but I feel like they're missing that true number three down the field can uh, can get separation, something like that. Because they already have the two the two big receivers on the outside. If you can add a, a, a waddle, I mean, I think it'd be incredible on this offense. But I'm leaning more towards um, corner as well. Like Gilbert said, I mean, everything that happen is going to happen in free agency. I, I and I feel like it's gonna dictate where the Chargers go, but like you guys, like you guys have said, interior offensive lineman is huge right now in free agency. I feel like 
I and you know what, Chris, you, you bring up a great point. I think it is going to be that that those top ten picks. I think it's going to be quarterback and lineman. I I truly feel like that's really what we're gonna what's gonna happen, and especially if if the dominoes fall and and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson get traded. I mean, I I think the first ten picks is gonna be uh, is gonna be crazy, and there there could be a lot of trades uh, that happen. But truly, I, I'm really interested to see where the Chargers go in this draft. There's a lot of different routes that they can go. I mean, cornerback, like you said, Sertan would be a huge um, addition. Alabama does two things really well, secondary and offensive line. So if you can get a guy like Patrick Sertan here with Derwin, you have to get younger. And I feel like Tampa really gave us a look at a blueprint kind of to how to kind of challenge Kansas City in a sense. That's pass rushing. And kind of having young, uh, fast corners that can uh, that can keep up with uh, Tyreek Hill and all the weapons that they have. Because uh, when you talk about Travis Kelsey, I mean, Derwin can really get with him one-on-one. -on -one, oh, and yeah. that's going to be a great battle to watch. Drew Tranquil could also go up against Travis Kelsey and go with him one-on-one. -on -one. So those two guys, the Chargers really do have part of the blueprint. I feel like Staley's going to come in and really just open this up and really clamp down on that defense and make it into one of the better ones that we've seen at times the Chargers be, but now they need consistency on that defensive side. And as we wrap this up, there's a variety of ways to try to beat the Chiefs. And we talked about our getting to Patrick Mahomes with Bosa and company, uh, getting that secondary shored up. And, uh, you know, you guys have guys like Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill with the speed, or you match speed for speed. And you continue to bolster the wide receiving core, continue to get Justin Herbert weapons. So they may be able to accomplish all of those things through the combination of free agency and the draft. We shall see. That's what makes this next couple of weeks so fun, because uh, we could be having a, an entirely different conversation uh, in the next couple of weeks with free agency. You hear um, that Gilbert speed, speed on offense, speed. speed. On offense. You guys are selling me. I'm buying Hey, <laughs> Copas on the beat. Uh, what's the frequency of it? Where can people get it? The people need to know. Uh, Plug it, Fernando. I mean, no, uh, they can go on. Uh, well, iTunes, we're still waiting for verification. Uh, but we have Spotify, YouTube. Um, really, we're, we're kind of playing it by ear in a sense. Like, if maybe free agency news starts dropping, we'll, we'll start doing them. We're kind of going to play it by ear. But once the season gets closer, we're going to probably be weekly. So definitely uh, it'll be awesome. Chris, hopefully you can join us for one episode. That'd be a lot of I'd fun. I'd love to. Uh, especially because, like I said, like Gilbert and I like literally are, are just having fun. We're, we're throwing out stuff, but we're also having fun. I mean, and that's why if you look at the logo, Gilbert – in his great wisdom did it in a different way so that there's like a boxing ring because hey one day we may talk boxing if there's a big fight coming up we may the last 15 minutes of the show talk boxing if wrestlemania is coming up other stuff like that like we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna have fun with it so that's really what we want copas on on the b2b is uh, like it's like two friends uh sitting back having a couple of, of modelos just for my boy gil there and he's talking <laughs> sports really yeah, and, and Chris, you know, I, I, I want to keep saying that I, I want people to to know how we got to this point in our careers because there are not many minor, minority reporters, especially in covering the NFL. I could probably count in my in my in one hand how many Latino NFL beat writers there are, and two of them cover the Chargers. So if you're out there, you're you're an aspiring uh, or aspiring uh, journalist who kind of wants to know how we got here, we're going to share the nuggets there on Copas on the beat. But obviously, we're going to talk Chargers a lot of Chargers. But we do, we do want to share the knowledge a little bit and kind of pay it forward.
man, I love that. And you guys are, and you guys are two of the best, no doubt, man. So I'm really happy for your success. Can't wait to see this thing get up and running. Fernando Ramirez, Sports Illustrated, Gilbert Manzano, Orange County Register. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. And guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Gil, Fernando, and Brandon Thorne for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to download and subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayward.